بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Now as we make our way to just five towards the beginning of this just there are a few consecutive ayat there are three verses in a row that are very powerful not just when we initially come across them but especially when they sink in more and more and more over time. In the first of these three ayat, Allah says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَكُمْ وَيَهْدِيَكُمْ سُنَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَيَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah says that He, what does He want for us? What does, what does He want from us? Allah says what He wants for us, the first thing mentioned is to make things clear for us so that we can understand. Our deen is a deen of understanding. It's not blind faith, nothing has to make sense, just believe for the sake of believing. Our deen makes perfect sense. Allah, the first thing Allah mentions here that He wants to make things clear for us. And He wants to guide us. And to guide us to basically follow in the footsteps of the, the ways of the pious of those who came before us. And to accept our repentance and Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. In the ayah immediately following this, Allah doubles down again. So out of all of the things mentioned in the first of these three verses, after the first one, moving on to the second one, what does Allah double down with? Out of the few concepts mentioned already in the ayah before this, Wallahu yuridu alaykum. Allah says again, and Allah wants to accept your repentance to forgive you, to forgive us. Wallahu yuridu alaykum. As for those they, who follow their desires, they want to see you slip and fall. They want to see you fall back into perhaps some older ways that were not so good. So it's very interesting when you compare and contrast these two parts of the ayah. In the first part, Allah is saying what He wants for us. He wants good for us. Allah wants to forgive us. Allah wants us to go in the right direction. Allah wants to lead us in the right direction, to guide us down the straight path. But then it's contrasted with, but if there's company, if you're around the wrong people, then that process is not going to necessarily be facilitated for you and I. Meaning, if we're truly serious about wanting Allah to guide us, then what Allah is laying out here for us is to look around at the company that we keep. And right now, there are probably some people here, and in general, by this point, now we're a couple nights into Ramadan. And if somebody used to hang out with a certain crowd that would never come to the masjid, that would never value anything in connection with deen, even if they're Muslim, but if you're all of a sudden not going to smoke hookah with them, if all of a sudden you're not going to the local bar with them, and then they start to reach out, hey, how come you're not hanging out with us anymore? Hey, what, you know, what, what's going on with you? Like, what, what are you, religious now? What's wrong with you? I know, I know how you really are. And I know what you were just doing a few weeks ago. 
So don't, you can't convince me that all of a sudden you've changed. People are going to hear that type of negative rhetoric from the wrong crowd of people. If you're hanging out with the right group of people, then they're going to pull you in the right direction. Even when you slip, their positive influence is going to pull you back into the fold of things. And the opposite is true. If someone, if someone is, is hanging out with the wrong crowd, even if they may be doing a couple right things, but the, the reality is there is strength in numbers. There, for better or for worse, there is strength in numbers. So even if someone, they're trying within themselves to be on the straight and narrow, they're trying to go down the straight path, they're trying their best in that regard, if they go and hang out with this old group of friends or you know, who are caught up in whatever, if they think to themselves, this is a classic trick of shaitan, if they think to themselves that I am going to go and hang out with them, even if I may be one and they may be ten, you know, I'm going to pull them to go with me to the masjid or I'm going to, I'm going to do da'wah to them and I'm going to try to get through to them. It's a noble intention, but it's also naive at the same time. Because the reality is there is strength in numbers. So instead of you going to where they are, try to get them to come to where you are. And if they come, they're more than welcome. And if not, then, then that's up to them. But the, the point is, Allah is contrasting what does He want for us and what do the wrong group of people, what do they want for us? In the third of these three ayat, so in the first one, Allah says what He wants. He wants to make things clear for us and to guide us down the straight path and to follow in the footsteps of the pious who came before us and to forgive us. Allah is knowledgeable and wise. And then Allah doubles down. Allah wants to forgive us. Allah wants to forgive you. Wallahu yuridu an yatuba alaykum. But as for those who are following their desires, they don't want to see you going in the right direction. They want to pull you down with them. They would love nothing more than to see you fall down and go back into what you were doing before. In the third of these three ayat, Allah wants to lighten our loads. There is no question the human being is created weak. What does this mean to lighten our loads? Allah wants to forgive us. Allah wants to forgive us. What does it mean for our loads to be lightened? The loads of the, the, the sins and the guilt that we carry. Allah wants to lighten those loads. As was made very clear in the two verses before this. So th these three ayat, they're very powerful. They're very succinct, very short, sweet, and to the point. This is towards the, the, the beginning of, this, of the juz. After this, Allah emphasizes the importance of justice with wealth of justice with wealth, to not take advantage of other people, also not to be taken advantage of. And it's, it's really beautiful when you look at the balance within our deen between all of these different things. It's not just about what's between you and Allah, and it's not just about what's between you and other people, it's about this healthy harmony of both. There's the importance of what's between a person and Allah, and there's also the importance of what's between a person and other people. And there has to be a balance between the two. So one of the things that Allah mentions in terms of justice between ourselves, amongst ourselves as creation, as people, is especially in connection with wealth, especially in the marketplace, especially when it comes, when it comes to business. And as Sayyidina Umar said, you don't really know someone until and unless you've either done business with them, or you've traveled with them, or you've lived with them either lived with them or next to them as a, as a neighbor, basically housing. 
what he's highlighting radiallahu an is that there are certain scenarios where a person, they can't help themselves but to express their true colors for better or for worse. And what's beautiful about the Prophet ﷺ, you know, there's this saying in our society, in our culture, you don't want to meet your heroes. right? Don't meet your heroes because if you meet them, you're going to be disappointed. What's amazing is with the Prophet, it was the exact opposite ﷺ. The more you learn about him, the more you love him ﷺ. The more you learn about him, the more you gravitate towards him and his character and how he was sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's really impeccable when you think about it, subhanAllah. Justice with wealth. The perfect example of this is the Prophet ﷺ. What was it that was so stunning in terms of his character with Khadija radiallahu anha? His character when it came to business, when it came to trade, when it came to the marketplace and his integrity within that. Because if someone can be to a person of integrity in that context, that's far more difficult than many other situations. So if that, so nowadays for us here and now, if we can try to maintain that integrity as best we can, والسلام, as the Prophet taught us, then that's going to be its own source of light within the workplace. When all of a sudden people, they may be you know, cutting corners and doing this or that, but if, if you're trying to avoid that, then you're going to stand out in a, in a bright way, where you're showing them, this, this is what my deen means to me. You don't have to give out a pamphlet, you don't have to give a lecture, you're just living your faith, you're just living your character, as the Prophet taught us, and that's the most powerful form of da'wah, to live your light, as the Prophet taught us. We also find in, in this part of the Qur'an, in this juz of the Qur'an, different things in connection with marriage, marital issues, and solutions that may be found in that context. And it's important if somebody wants it, we really do not have time for it, but if somebody wants to understand verse 34, before you jump into 34, look at 35. Before you jump into ayah 34, before you do that, ironically, look at the ayah after it, and it'll help to put things in light, it'll help to contextualize things. Because in Ayah 35, Allah mentions that if, if, if they want to reconcile, if there are issues between the husband and wife and they want to reconcile, one of the options is, For him to appoint someone, a representative, a mediator, you could say, and for her to appoint someone. So this Ayah focuses on, on, on peaceful resolution. Once you understand that, then you can take a step back and look at the ayah before it, which is very often misunderstood. And in no way, shape, or form can ayah 34 be used to justify any type of domestic violence. That's simply not possible. The best example that we have, the best tafsir that we have, the best explanation of the Qur'an, is the Prophet himself, how he lived it, and his character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if someone is claiming that they believe in and they love and they want to follow rahmatan lil'alameen, if they want to follow in the footsteps of the mercy sent to mankind, that largely starts at home. How does Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha, this incredible wife of the Prophet how does she describe him? That he never ever laid his hand on a woman, on a child, on a servant, and the only time, subhanAllah, look at how she specifies, and the only time that he raised his hand against a man was literally in the battlefield. Which is completely understandable for anyone because it's literally a situation of life or death. But look at her clarification. Not once ever, sallallahu alayhi wa did he raise his hand against these different people.
emphasizing this is his character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We find uh, in ayah 41, and I'll wrap up, we find in ayah 41, a very, a very powerful ayah. One time the Prophet ﷺ, he asked Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an, he asked him to recite Qur'an to him. He asked, and Ibn Mas'ud asked him like, Ya Rasulullah, you want me to recite Qur'an to you? And it was revealed to you? And the Prophet said, yes, I love to listen to the recitation of the Qur'an. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an, he began reciting from the beginning of Surah An-Nisa, of Surah number four. And he's reciting and reciting and the Prophet is sitting there and listening and Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he keeps reciting until he gets to ayah 41. When he recites the ayah, فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِن كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا And when he gets to this ayah, the Prophet asks him to please stop. The Prophet asks him to please stop wasallam. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud, who was an extremely early convert, and if you know who he is, then it deepens the appreciation for this story. He looks up and he sees that the Prophet is weeping. The Prophet is weeping, he's crying, he's affected by what he's listening to. And this ayah mentions that how will it be when you come as a witness against your people? So the, the Prophet, he was shook, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He asked Abdullah bin Mas'ud to stop reciting. Towards the end of this juz, Allah tackles this issue of hypocrisy, and we ask Allah to protect all of us from it. One of the characteristics, and I have to conclude, that, that we can take home to try to avoid. How can, there's always a way out in healthy ways. One of the descriptions that Allah gives of the hypocrites, وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا that they don't remember Allah at all except very, very, very little. And this is the passage where Allah mentions that the hypocrites are in the worst place in the hellfire. The heaviest ayah in the entire Qur'an regarding Jahannam is this ayah. Look at the ayah after that, Allah says, except for those who repent. So long as we're alive, we can make positive changes as best we can. So long as we're walking and, and moving and, and we can function we can make positive changes as best we can. So Allah mentions that there's this really serious warning. There's this red tape. There's this red line. But there is a way to get out of it, except for those who repent. And they basically patch themselves up internally, and then it extends externally. What's the action item? If Allah criticizes them for remembering Allah very little with their words and their actions and their character, how can we get out of it to remember Allah often with our words, with our actions, with our character? We ask Allah to make things easy for all of us. We ask Allah to turn all of our hardships into ease. We ask Allah to forgive us and protect us. And we ask Allah to gather all of us in Firdaus Amir Rabbil Alameen.